ultimately detox is, you know, if you've, uh, I had a friend in high school, you know, who, who was a wrestler, and if you, if you are familiar with the sport, you know, a lot of times these wrestlers have to cut weight, you know, and a friend of mine was, was cutting a significant amount of weight, and so he would come to school every day, and he would have these dark, these dark circles under his eyes, he would have multiple sweatshirts on, he looked miserable, you know, he was starving, you know, himself, you know, to, to, to lose this weight. He was flushing out, you know, he was flushing out good things in his body. You know, he was detoxing, you know, positive things also that, you know, he could make weight, you know, so that come way in time, he was eligible to wrestle, you know, but that picture of watching him cut weight in high school reminded me of the painstaking process sometimes of what it, of what it takes and what it means to detox from something. And so you think about in your life, you know, maybe some of you have had to detox from different, uh, you know, addictions, you know, or detox from different foods, you know, that you found out, hey, you know, this isn't good for me. Or there's some healthy detox programs out there, you know, weight loss things, you know, that I don't concern myself with, but yeah, I, I know that they're out there. You know, whatever it is, you know that in order to detox, you know, there's, it's an intentional process. It doesn't just happen. It's purposeful. And it's, it, you detox because there's a, there's a bigger, uh, something bigger at work here. And so as we, you know, as, as Scott and Adam and myself sat down and talked about this series, you know, ultimately we, we have to ask ourselves the question, you know, why? Why are we detoxing? What is, what is the purpose of it? And so you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I just want to use this as kind of the umbrella statement over this, over this series this month. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 says this, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Why do we detox? Because God has called us to be set apart. Because God calls us to holiness. He says, my people should look different. And so we examine our lives and we go, what are the things in my life that defile me? What are the things in my life that are not of God? The things in my life that are not holy? And God asked me to flee from them. He asked me to detox from them, to get away from them. Why? Because God is concerned about our holiness. And so ultimately, that's, that's why. And so this morning, the, you know, week one, if you see in your bulletins, I've already got a bunch of you know, grief uh, for this. But today is detoxing from subjectiveness. You know, and, and that's a big word, and Amy V over here gives me a hard time. She goes, you sound like a seminary student, you know, and, and Bruce came up to me earlier this morning, and, you know, what, what, are you going to give me a definition for that, you know? I, I promise you, I'm not that, I'm not that smart. That's the only word that I knew for it, you know? Uh, my wife and I were coming back from Springfield this, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and we had a spelling bee in the car, you know, because that's what we do for fun. You know, we were competing, and the first eight words she gave me, I was over eight. 
Couldn't spell any of them, you know. And so, yes, subjectiveness is a big word, but, uh, you know, it's, I, don't, I don't have another word for it. But really, subjectiveness means this, is that we decide what is true based upon what we feel, based upon what we experience, based upon our own, you know, opinion, our own perception of something. So what we deem true in our life we define for ourselves. Everything is subjective. Everything is up in the air, left to be undetermined. We get to determine what is true. And so we're detoxing from that because ultimately what that says, if, if subjectivity is true, ultimately what that says is that we're Lord. We're gonna play Lord. We're gonna decide what is right. We're going to decide what is true. We're going to decide what is just. That's left up to us. And God says, no. That's not the truth. The truth is objective. That's because what is true, I have deemed to be true. It comes from me. I'm the prescriber. I'm the moral lawgiver. That comes from me. And so that's where we're at this morning is detoxing from subjectiveness and filling ourselves up with the truth and letting the truth be how we make decisions in our life. John 8.32, don't flip there, and 8.36 says, and you will know, this is Jesus speaking, and says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, free indeed you will be. And why do I say that? Because here's the deal. Detoxing from subjectiveness, detoxing from anything, you ask yourself, why? What is this? Is this another rule to follow? Is this another burden in my walk? No, it's with freedom in mind. God has your freedom. God has your liberty in mind. He's saying, if you'll just function inside the framework in which I put in place, you will experience freedom. You will experience liberty. You will experience peace. Why? Because it's how I designed it. If Christ sets you free, free indeed you will be. So as we journey through this series over the next month, why do we detox from these things? It's not because we're entering Lent season or it's just we're looking to give you something, you know, this practical piece to do over the next month. No, it's because we're concerned about your freedom. God's concerned about your freedom. He's concerned about you experiencing life to the fullness. I was telling our students this past week, That God's design, his design, is the only way that we experience fullness. It's like when you go to the grocery store, you get a banana or avocado. And when it's not in the right season, you know, when they're not ripe, when they're not ready to eat, and you eat them, it doesn't taste as good. I don't like hard bananas. I don't like them when they're green. I like them when they're soft. I like it when the avocados are ready and they're soft. They taste better. When we function inside of God's design, we experience the fullness of that goodness. Isaiah chapter 59. If you don't have your Bibles, it's in the bulletin. 
that you got when you walked in. Just to give you a a blueprint of where we're going this morning is this. We're going to take a snapshot of our culture and the subjectiveness found in our culture. Then we're going to look at what God did on behalf of us. God's faithfulness to truth. Because the Hebrew you know, root of truth refers to the faithfulness of God's nature. God's faithfulness to the truth. And the third thing is the promises of a life lived in the truth. So we begin in Isaiah 59 with here's the snapshot of our culture. Here's the snapshot of subjectiveness. Starting in verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. For truth has stumbled in the public square, truth is lacking. Subjectiveness. When I think about the public square, I went to New York one time, and I think about New York, I think about this melting pot of people. When I think about culture, I go to big cities like that. And so when it says truth stumbles in the public square, I go, yes, the truth is stumbling in New York City. The truth is stumbling in these squares where people are at. And when Isaiah says it stumbled, is that there's no room left for the truth. It has no place to stand. But falsehood is accepted. Falsehood is accepted in our community. Here in Blue Springs, the truth has nowhere to stand. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. This is, this is the magnitude of how far gone truth is in our culture. If you try to be a reason of logic, a reason of truth, if you try to speak truth into our culture, what happens oftentimes is this. You become the prey. You become small-minded. You become ignorant. You become uneducated. So when Isaiah says that he who departs from evil makes himself a prey, this is where we're at as a culture. As we try to speak truth, as we try to live in the truth, we become the prey because it's so opposite of where the culture's at. And so subjectivity in our culture today looks like this, just to bring it down, make it real for us. Abortions, pro-choice, is okay. And I'm not talking about, I'm not, I'm not talking about rape or incest, because the, 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 the statistics will show you that less than 1% of all abortions are because of rape and incest. I'm just dealing with elective abortions, which is the, the, the choice to abort out of convenience. Some 95% of all abortions are elective abortions out of choice and convenience because our feelings, we sang that song, doesn't matter what, our feel, what we feel or what we see, but that's our culture. 
I don't, I don't think this is the right time. This is inconvenient. I'm not in a good place, you know? And so therefore, because I'm not in a good place or I don't want this responsibility, what is right then, I'll just justify in my mind that this is true, this is good. We start to rationalize things based on our feelings. Homosexuality, I feel, I feel attracted to the same sex. And because I feel that, then it's okay. That's true. I feel like I'm supposed to be somebody else. I feel like God made a mistake in my gender. So it's true, it must be right, because I feel this way. I must, this must not be me. But let's not mistake, let's not get feelings, let's not attach feelings to identity. Feelings are not identity. Feelings is not the basis in which we make decisions. Fleshly desires are not our identity. Fleshly desires is not the basis in which we make decisions. Subjectivity, premarital sex, right? We all have heard the phrase, you know, I gotta, I, I gotta take the car for a test drive before I buy it. Or it's convenient, it makes sense for us to live together before we get married to see if this is gonna work. Yeah, that, that makes sense, that's human wisdom. So that must be right. These are all subjective things in which we take our experiences, our perceptions, and we impose them as truth. And God says, no. I'm the truth. Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm the way, I am life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. We don't, go, we, we don't come to the Father through our opinions. We don't come to the Father through our perspectives, through our experiences. We come to the Father through the truth, and the truth is Christ. Church is in the deer stand for me. I can have church wherever I, wherever I deem fit. It's a lie. It's your convenience. Ah, I'm not going to go. I'll just listen to the podcast when I get time this week. That's your, that's your convenience. That's your subjectiveness. And so this is, this is the picture of the culture that Isaiah is speaking here to about Israel in verse 14 and 15, is that the truth has no, no place to stand. And we all can see that in our current culture, the, the truth doesn't, doesn't have a place to stand. And in fact, when we try to stand on the truth, when we try to impose the truth, we become the prey. We become small-minded. 
But I argue that it's actually the opposite of small-minded to recognize that there's something bigger to live for than ourselves and our own feelings. That's the opposite of small-minded to me. That's open-minded to be able to realize that this world doesn't revolve around my feelings. To me, that's open-minded. To me, that's not ignorant. To me, that is thinking about other people. Verse 16. So now we look at God's faithfulness to the truth. The culture was without truth. And here comes God on the scene. His faithfulness comes onto the scene and says, verse 15, back half of 15, the Lord saw it and it displeased him because he's concerned with holiness. He's concerned with us detoxing. It displeased him. And there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. Because God is the only person, is the only Savior who can redeem this. He's the only one. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. You know, Adam talked about, wrapped up Ephesians last week, talked about putting on the armor of God to protect against Satan's arrows, Satan's schemes. We have access, we have access to that armor in Ephesians 6 because God first, Christ first, put on that same armor and came in to our culture in which truth had nowhere to stand and said, I'm here to fight for truth. And he put on that armor. I'm here to save this dying place, this wretched place. So we're able to first put on that armor because Christ put on that armor and came and fought on behalf of truth and on behalf of his faithfulness to his people. Verse 18, according to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlines he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgressions, declares the Lord. The Messiah, Christ, put on this armor, came as this warrior to redeem you and I, to instill, to put trust back in a a subjective culture in which we all want to play Lord. And because we all want to play Lord, it got jacked up. Israel got jacked up. But God's faithful to his people. 
And he says, no, I'm going to redeem that. And so he sent his son, clothed, ready for battle, to walk into this culture in which he became the prey. And he stood up for truth. He came and taught truth. He came and fought for truth. He came and died for the truth. And he raised three days later for the truth. And for your salvation and for my salvation. And so as we look at this culture and it seems gross and disgusting, and it is, it's not to be a discouragement because we've already won. We might be the prey temporary, temporarily, but Christ has already won and we are victors in that. And he asks us to put on the armor, Ephesians 6, he asks us to put on the armor and let's, let's brave, we, we just sang that song, you make us brave. Let's be brave and let's stand for the truth, even as it's uncomfortable, even as we become the prey. Let's fight the fight. Let's pick up the sword, which is the truth, God's word, and let's fight. Because Christ came and fought on our behalf and redeemed us. We stand for the truth. We fight for the truth. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. We have to stand on the truth because we have to have a firm foundation. Matthew chapter 7. We've got to have a firm foundation that when the culture comes, that when Satan comes, when the wind starts blowing, our house doesn't crumble. When the waves come, when we're in the truth, we're good. But we build our lives on subjectiveness, on our opinions, our experiences, our perceptions. We crumble. Because when the rushing stream, he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. When God comes with that force, when Christ came with that force, with vengeance, if you're sitting in your house and it's built out of subjectiveness, you will crumble. Because he's just. Verse 21. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. The truth will always stand. The truth always was. John 1, 1. The truth always existed from the beginning. And it will always stand. It will persevere to the end. And we have a responsibility, a role to play in that. And so a practical question for you to ask yourself today is, is, is one, what truth do I need to be reminded of? What truth of God do I need to hold on to? And also, am I enabling truth to stumble in the public square? Am I enabling falsehood to take root in my home, in my workplace, in my own personal life? Because we have a responsibility to this truth that Christ came and died for. 
And it has to be the vehicle in which we make decisions out of. My dad used to say all the time, what does scripture say about it? Is that our natural reaction, inclination, to when we have to make a decision in life? Do we go, what does scripture say about that? Or do we start with, well, what are the consequences of this choice? You know what, let's, let's go pros and cons here, you know? No. What does scripture say about this? Because if you become this consequentialist where you make decisions based upon, you know, the greater good for the most amount of people or you're looking to seek this, you know, specific result at the end so that, you know, that, that, that's what drives how you make decisions, well, then you put the outcome of your decision above what God says you should do. And that's idolatry. We start with the nature of God. We start with what he says in his word. Flip to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. This is a verse that we're probably all very familiar with. Second Timothy chapter 3. 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Your Bible is God's word to you and is good. It's good for teaching reproof, correction, righteousness so that you can be equipped for every good work. There's not a situation you're going to stumble across in your life that God doesn't, that God doesn't have an answer for, that doesn't have a way made for you in that. And so as you seek to make decisions as you seek direction? Are we coming to this? Do we go, what does scripture say about that? We all would love to hear a word from God. Are we willing to open up our Bible? Because he's speaking. We have a responsibility and preserving the truth. Chapter 60, back to Isaiah, verse 1. Here's the thought, here, here, here are the promises that are found in a life lived in truth as we fill up on truth, as we detox, get rid of subjectiveness, as we lay down and say, I'm no longer Lord. Here are the promises in that. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness for peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. 
And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. Whereas before you stood for the truth, you became the prey. And God says, no, there'll come a time where you will be the predominant culture again. And people will see my glory on you. People will see my radiance on you. As we talk about the vision for church is God's renown and about people seeing the glory, about his name being spread. When you stand on the truth, people see God's glory. When you make decisions out of the truth, people see God's glory. His name is spread. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. When we stand in the truth, we will live in his presence, in the presence with God. And is that enough for you? And he promises, you live in the truth, you live in my truth, my presence, my presence will be with you. I can't think of a more powerful thing than to walk this life in God's presence. Jump to verse 15, Isaiah chapter 60. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated... With no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever. A joy from age to age. There's joy found in living in the truth. There's eternity found living in the truth. Age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. And instead of iron, I will bring silver. That's a life lived in the truth is a life lived in fullness. It's not the knockoff. It's not the cheap stuff. It's not Dollar General. It's the good stuff. It's experience the fullness. Instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron, I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. See, subjectiveness is not true because back in Ephesians chapter 4, It says that as Christians, we ought to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We cannot be unified 
and subjectiveness. There's no universal truth. There's nothing for us to be unified on. It doesn't work. It's only in truth can we be unified. Violence. There's no violence when we're in unity. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Think about how beautiful that picture is going to be. Imagine, get this snapshot in your head right now of what what culture looks like right now. And put whatever words you want to put on that. Now imagine this. Your walls, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. That sounds a whole lot more joyous. That sounds a whole lot more peaceful. That's the promise that comes to us in living in the truth. Verse 19, the sun shall be no more your light by day. Nor, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Those who live in the truth, mourning will come to an end. Suffering and affliction will come to an end. That's God's promise to you. His presence is your light always, for everlasting. Your people shall be righteous and they shall possess the land forever. The eternity, the, the inheritance Christ has prepared for you, you will possess. That's God's promise to you for living in the truth. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. We live in the truth because God is glorified in the truth. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. And I am the Lord, and it's time I will hasten it. We live in the truth because God has asked us to be holy. He has asked us to look different. And we have a responsibility to that. We live in the truth because Christ came and fought for the truth, died for the truth, was raised three days later for the truth, which brought us our salvation. We live in the truth because the truth is the only way to the Father. There's no truth that in the end God's all loving and we're all getting in. That's somebody's subjective feelings. God's a God of consequence. We live in the truth because of what He promises. Eternal life. Peace. See, this is, this is not a burden for us. 
Somebody was telling me last week, this is a privilege. It's a privilege that we get to detox. It's a privilege that we get to live in freedom, liberty. That's a privilege. And so as we head into this Lent season, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. As we head into this Lent season, over this next month, as we talk about things to detox from, be asking yourself, what is it for me? How am I making decisions in life based upon my feelings? Or am I resting in the truth? Am I resting in God's promises? Even when it's uncomfortable. Will I be brave enough to stand for the truth when I'm the prey? Or am I going to enable the truth to stumble in the square? Ask yourself, as the band plays in this time of reflection, ask yourself, what is it for me? What truth do I need to start holding on to? Where Where have I gotten off at? It's encouraging to know that Christ has already came and fought on behalf of the truth and has already won. And so victory is ours. And it's just a matter of trusting that. It's a matter of trusting his faithfulness. Let's pray. God, we, th- we thank you for your faithfulness to us. That as, even when we get off, and we get out of sync, and we start being Lord over our own lives, your faithfulness fights on our behalf. And God, that's, that, that grace is so beyond me. that you would send your son the truth. To bring salvation to a broken place. And that you would give us armor to strap up in so that we can stand in that truth, so that we can defend that truth. And God, as we experience the fullness of life in that truth, let us always be reminded of your promises that this is a privilege, that the best is yet to come. The eternal peace is available to us. And so as we get faced with tough decisions, Let those promises ring true. And we would hold on to them. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. Amen.